Darnold under pressure for Jones. Caught it. Jones with the first down. He got him behind Tony Fields. Hello and welcome to the USC Overtime Podcast. USC overcomes a 22-point blown lead and comes out with a 49-35 to victory over Arizona. USC now looks like it's in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 South Division title. I'm your host, Zach Helfand from the Los Angeles Times, joined here by the great David Wharton. David, I am confused by this team. I don't know if they're good or not. I don't know if they're improving or not. Help us make sense of this. You know, obviously there were a lot of big hopes at the beginning of the season and a lot of big rankings for this team. But I really do think that they've probably turned out to be exactly who they are, which is a team that's been hit by some injuries, a team that had inexperience at some crucial places. Um, we thought going in the offensive line might be a question mark, and it has been a question mark, and it's been giving us all different kinds of answers, both good and bad, as the season goes on, or, or even quarter by quarter, drive by drive. Um, so I, I think that, that some of the things that m- might have been, you know, we might have thought were a concern have turned out to be concerns, and they've limited what this team can do in, in terms of making good on, on what everybody hoped the team could do at the beginning of the season. And, and right now it's a team that's just kind of fighting to, to get as much as it can out of the season, and there's still a lot to play for. There's not a college football playoff spot to play for. I think everyone's kind of resigned to that fact. Um, but they can they – can, they can get their get themselves to a, a Pac-12 championship game, and and I was talking to some of the players, and these are young guys; they haven't been around that long. Of course, the Pac-12 championship game hasn't been there around that long, but I was asking them, like, how many times do you think USC has been in the game? How many times do you think it's won? And and really, you know, in the relatively short history, SC has only been there once, and they lost. And so, getting to a Pac-12 championship game and having a chance to win one could be a real accomplishment for this team, and and the biggest accomplishment that maybe is left to, to the Trojans after, especially after that loss to Notre Dame. Isn't that nuts? The, this is, the Pac-12 is USC's conference. I mean, Washington's great, Oregon's great, and, but, but historically, it's, it's USC. That's, that's the big dog in this conference. And they haven't, they haven't been there once and got run over by Stanford, so it's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the game was sort of uh, uh, created after the, in the sort of uh, dark times after Pete right. Carroll left yeah. and, and, and the NCAA penalties. So it sort of came along at a low point for USC football, and I guess that would sort of explain. But, but the fact of the matter is it's been around for a little while now, and SC's only been there once, and they've never won it. So that, that is, I think, a reasonable goal for this team to point to. And, and, and talking to some of the players, um, they mentioned it was something that they could grab onto after the Notre Dame loss. Uh, something that, you know, there was still a goal out there that they could fight for. And a team needs that after a loss like that. That was a big, big loss, as you know. We were both out there in South Bend, and it was, they, they it was a, seemed. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty decisive. Yeah, and didn't probably. Leave a lot. Right, yeah. to, you know, Nothing to the imagination. Right. And it was pretty disheartening, I think, for a lot of these guys. So, um, so they needed something to look forward to, and, and that's what they've got. Is this team improving? Do you see improvements from the Notre Dame game, or has the competition level changed? Because I, I really don't know the answer to this. You know, one of the things I hate, and, and I think we're all 
kind of vulnerable to this as sports writers is we write about how great a team is looking when they're not playing a very good team and then all of a sudden they, they play someone really good and they lose and we say how terrible they are. There's a bit of knee-jerk reaction going on. So it's, it's hard to compare, uh, you know, how USC looks against Arizona State or Arizona um, with how they looked against Notre Dame because Notre Dame is a, we now know is clearly a very good football team. And I, I, I don't think that Arizona or Arizona State were very good football teams. Or, uh, I, you know, I think that Arizona, the Arizona we saw tonight, has a very dangerous quarterback, but they have a very suspect defense, and they're young and, and uh, a lot of young players on that team, and they have a lot to learn. So, so I, you know, it, it, you ask me, are they getting better? It's hard to say right now. I, I don't know. I don't know. They I mean, might be. They might be. But they might not be. It, I mean, I think also, I mean, this was a team that we saw get on a roll last year, and they looked really good. I mean, I think a lot of people around the country are saying this could be the most dangerous team that didn't get into the playoffs last year. Uh, and, but a, a lot of that had to do with all these play, the players talk about this sort of confidence that was built up that, that turned, kind of turned into continuity, and, and you could really see it on the field. They have not found that, I don't think, this season. Not that they won't. But that's where I would look for the improvement is sort of guys getting more confident and comfortable in their roles, especially the younger guys. The one guy who is confident has always been confident, uh, Sam Darnold, again, saved USC late. They, they rely on him a lot. And, they, you know, he's the quarterback, and of course they should, but they probably rely on him a little bit more than is healthy right now, uh, especially late in games. But once again, uh, USC was up 22 points early in the third quarter. They were no longer up any points uh, early in the uh, fourth quarter. Sam Darnold comes right back after Arizona ties the, the score on a two-point conversion and has two of the better passes I've seen him make. And I've seen him make every pass he's made in his career. Um, but the wheel route to Ronald Jones, uh, and Clay Helton talked about this too after the game, just kind of makes you go, whoa. That was, that was Clay Helton's quote as well. There's not really uh, many more words than, that would describe it other than, whoa. But um, <laughs> what, what is how what's like? Is it healthy for USC to to be? Is is he just really good and that's what happens, or is USC kind of being complacent, or or is he bailing him out? Like does does what? Where do you see Darnold's role, and is he playing too big of a role for USC than is kind of sustainable? I think for all the talent he has, um, he still has problems with experience he has problems with decision making and and you know he'll be the first one to admit it and he talked about it tonight he's much better when the running game's going uh which has and that's been off and on for for the trojans so if you're looking for him to just to take over a complete 60 minutes and win a game i think that's difficult for him because he's still making those mistakes the throw he made the interception in the end zone in the first half which really maybe could have put, arguably, you know, given them such a big cushion that it would have put the game away, um, you know, by halftime. That throw was a, just an awful throw. He called it uh, one of the worst decisions of his career, which might be accurate. And I think, uh, you know, he made, it's, it's hard to say what exactly happened, but he had another play that he threw right to a defender uh, later on in the first half that just bounced off the guy's hands. Um, that was either a bad throw or just a miscommunication, but still he's so so to answer your question uh, yeah, I think they, they 
they rely on him too much if they don't have the running game going. And I don't think he's he's got that consistency right now where he can he can run that offense for four quarters. But if if you can keep him close, as you've seen, you know, so often, if you can keep him close, we were we were sitting there at the end when it was getting really tight, thinking, boy, they better start running the ball and eat up some time and you know eke out a last touchdown drive. But that's that's not what happened. I mean, they went to Darnold. And, and bang, he, he drove him down with, him, with some really, really nice, and it's not just his, as you know, it's not just his passing. That, that wheel route was unbelievable, incredible touch, just dropped it right in over the defender. But just, you know, to me, the thing that's the most amazing to me is to watch him on plays and his, his sense of pocket and his sense of where the pressure is coming from. And he can take, some guys will get happy feet, some guys will just take off running. He will take a step or two or maybe three and get himself a little bit more in the clear and keep his eyes downfield. And he did that on that last drive. The pass before that wheel route, uh, I, I believe it was another big third down. He, he bought himself another couple of seconds. He scrambled out to uh, Michael Pittman. It was it was uh, like second and 20, I think, because there's a holding call. That's right. And he scrambles outside to his right this time and hit Pittman and immediately raised the holding call. They got a first down. It's 21 yards. So. Yeah, and when, and when he creates that extra time, all of a sudden his receivers are getting wide open. You know, I mean, it's not just like he – because he's, he's making the defense play for a little bit longer, and he's finding guys for easy kind of pitch and catches, you know. And, and so that's, that's the thing that is, I think we've seen is so special about him is the ability to make plays with, with his, his feet and his arms and with his, and a kind of sense of calmness and, and waiting for things to develop. You had mentioned you turned to me during the game, uh, after, I think after his interception, or maybe the near interception that you mentioned, and said it seems like sometimes he gets in trouble when he tries to do too much. Um, I don't know if he had, the USC needs him to do too much, but um, and it's certainly not when you have a rushing performance like you do tonight. You kind of just want Darnold to just, all right, take what the defense gives you. You don't have to force anything because USC tonight rushed for 331 yards. Ronald Jones had 194 yards, um, which was almost very, very close to his second straight 200-yard rushing game. He now has 1,000 yards rushing for the second season in a row. He's the first USC running back in, since Lendale White to have two straight 1,000-yard rushing seasons. That's I, that's crazy. I didn't I didn't I, they said it over the loudspeaker. I, a stat I admittedly hadn't even thought of before because he just assumed there would be one in between, Lendale White, and now it's more than 10 years, uh, but there hasn't been. And Akasajic Ware, uh, normally the third or fourth running back in this rotation, had 122 yards tonight, averaged 8.7 yards per rush, and he had a touchdown. So um, it's this, but this, I think this is kind of the frustrating thing for a lot of USC fans right now, is you get these dominant rushing performances some games, and then other games, it disappears. Uh, is are we are we expecting too much? And you can't get 331 yards every game, but are we expecting too much, or, or should we expect some more consistency out of the running game? Well, I mean, you look at those numbers printed on in the game book, and and it looks like like they dominated. But but you know, when you watch this game, it wasn't that way. They came out in the first quarter and were running the ball at will. Huge holes, guys breaking tackles. It looked like it could go on all night, and then. The running game kind of went into a lull for a lot of the second quarter, a lot of the third quarter, at towards towards the the beginning of the fourth quarter when things started to get tight, and they needed to put together when they were still up, I believe, by eight points. They needed to put together a big 
kind of bruising drive. I believe they went three and out, and uh, I know that the run game was shut down at that point. So even within a game with those kind of numbers, you're, you're looking at some inconsistencies where the running game was there for a while and then it wasn't. And that's where I think we started to see Darnold make a few mistakes too, is, is, is you know, if he doesn't have that run game there, it puts a lot of pressure on him. Uh, so yeah, it's not, we're not seeing, we're not seeing a real consistent presence or performance by the offensive line, I think particularly. Uh, they were, Arizona was starting to get a little bit of, of uh, disruption along the line of scrimmage and running backs weren't getting through those holes like they were early on. And then all of a sudden, boom, the, the switch flicks and they do it. They start doing it again in the late in the fourth quarter, like with about 10 minutes left or, or eight minutes left. They they start to bust open that running game again. And you're kind of wondering, well, where was that for the last quarter and a half, two quarters? You, you had mentioned just a few minutes ago, it's not just inconsistency from game to game, but from quarter to quarter and series to series. Sometimes they look just so dominant and sometimes they look lost. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. But, I mean, 331 yards, I guess you have to call it success. Um, and they could have really had more uh, because Ronald Jones had a 98-yard touchdown uh, that was called back. He could have easily had 300 yards tonight. Um, I, I used the term – I was doing a radio interview with some, some uh, radio station in Houston. Sorry, not Houston, in Tucson. And um, – I use the term underrated with the USC running back. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I've ever used the term underrated before, but uh, Ronald Jones seems to be flying under the radar a little bit. I think people think that he's good, um, but he doesn't. he's not nearly on the same plane in a lot of people's minds as Bryce Love or Josh Adams or Saquon Barkley. Um, I think he, he, maybe Josh Adams, I, I could see a good comparison to, maybe Bryce Love. Saquon, I think, is a little bit better than him, but... Um, Given that he is the first back-to-back 1,000-yard rusher since Lendell White, um, where in, in recent USC running backs and running backs that you've covered, where does he rank, or how does his skill level compare to some of those guys? I, I think it's been hard to say because for most of the, you know, really what we would consider the great USC running backs had great offensive lines, and that's what you're not seeing here. And, and that's, I mean, I can remember Ronald Jones breakout game, his first game of his USC career over 200 yards. Um, I say I remember it. I don't remember what team it was against now, but... Um, was that last year? Did he have one... No, I think he had freshman. He had one his freshman year. Was it Arizona? Mm, might have been. Maybe been Arizona. Yeah. It's nice to run against they Arizona. Kind of, yeah, yeah. They kind of blur together after all, all this time, but, but I think at that time people thought, wow, this guy is incredible, but they're been sort of peaks and valleys and and I just think it, it kind of part of that goes to the fact that USC has not had a dominant offensive line in, in quite some time so you're going to have good games and and not such good games and it's hard for a running back to really to really forge a national presence if if they're going to have too many off days I mean it, at this at this point especially you know nowadays when you see every game and you read every stat immediately on the crawl on the TV screen you know, people know exactly what you're doing week to week, and if you're if you're not putting up big numbers, I mean, you're allowed to have a couple of maybe off weeks, but literally in this day and age of the Heisman watch, if you have an off week, all of a sudden they're pushing you to the bottom of the list, and then I just don't think he's had enough consistently big games to really get on that list. Yeah, I don't think he he's put together the stats, and he's been hurt a little bit, um, and he's had too many off 
games where he hasn't put up the eye-popping numbers. I just think if you put him on behind Notre Dame's line, I mean, you could put me behind Notre Dame's <laughs> line, and <laughs> I might get invited to New York. But I think he'd, he'd be a Heisman finalist, uh, or at least at this point in the season, would, would be a very good contender to get to New York. Well, I mean, you know, you've written about this. I mean, there's a lot of questions about the, the play calling and, you know, this team forging what kind of an identity. I mean, after, what do you think after watching this team? I mean, does this, does this offense have an identity yet? I don't think it does. One of the things that we were talking about during the game was that in a game like this where USC was running it down their throats early, um, it seems to me like it's it's simple, but the game plan has to be you, you have better athletes, you're bigger, stronger, faster, you run the ball, you run the ball again, and then once the team starts to creep up, you have one of the best quarterbacks in the country, you throw it over the top. And USC seems to get a little too cute with it sometimes. A T. Martin is still a young offensive coordinator. Um, he's still trying to make his mark, and it seems like sometimes they're overcomplicating things um, when they don't need to be. They're not a team that has to out-scheme people. They're a team that has better athletes most of the time, and I think the simple game plan is sometimes the best game plan for them, where you run the ball, you move, I mean, you were inconsistent, but you move the ball tonight, um, and then you throw it over the top. And I think that would also take some pressure off of Darnold, where he doesn't have to do everything. He doesn't have to be the read option guy all the time, the zone read guy. He doesn't have to be the RPO guy. Um, he doesn't have to be directing everything. Um, Keep it simple. I think they, didn't, they could benefit from simplifying a little bit. Um, I think that's been part of the play calling issues is that they, they never seem to get to a rhythm because they're trying to do 10 different things. So they get into a rhythm with, with, with one thing, and then it switches the next series. Um, I think that's been some of their struggles with, with the play calling. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to sound like, like some old crotchety old guy now, but, but when I think back to when Norm Chow was here as, a, as an offensive coordinator, and obviously he had a lot of years in football and was pretty well respected. And you would watch SC games, and you would see him do things in the first quarter. Uh, you know, I'll give you like a really simple example. You know, he would he would hit a team with three or four outs, just keep hitting short outs, and then all of a sudden he'd come back in the third quarter and do an out and go. And you could see that he was doing things in 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 his play calling in the first and second quarter. They would set up things that would happen in the third and fourth quarter, or he would he would try to keep a consistent run going so that you would beat a team up. You would physically wear them down. And when you start bouncing around a lot, I think you lose some of those nuances of play calling uh, that, you know, you can sort of watch and go, oh, I get it. He was, you know, I saw why, now I know why he was doing that in the first quarter because he was setting this thing up when he needed it in the third quarter or the fourth quarter. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I don't see it this year. Maybe I'm missing it, but I don't see, I don't see like a kind of logic or a progression to what they're doing on offense? team that does have some progression on offense, uh, Arizona. Uh, especially it helps when you have Khalil Tate. Uh, you wrote on Khalil Tate this week. Uh, good article. You can check it out on LATimes.com or go back into uh, your newspaper pile and pick out the sports section from uh, from Friday, that was, right? Was it Saturday? Was it today? Was it today? It was today. I'm losing track of the days. It's been a, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. Today is actually, it's past midnight, and today is actually Sunday. So, uh, um what were your impressions from seeing him in person? Because he was, I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I mean, especially because he got off to a slow start and USC really had him hemmed in for a good portion of the game. And you, th and you thought, okay, young guy making, I believe, the sixth start of his career. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just not going to be able to handle this kind of 
situation, uh, you know, a, a, a road game, huge game in the Pac-12 South. But he didn't, he didn't let down. And uh, he wasn't, we were talking about, he wasn't quite as quick as I thought he might be. And, you know, maybe just looks quicker on TV. But, but he, he's a good runner. He's got a good sense and he's got good acceleration. And he, uh, he was able to start making plays. He, he missed some really important passes. He overthrew, by my count, maybe a half dozen. Uh, and we saw one that would have been a touchdown. Um, on kind of a post route, I think it was, a skinny post. that guy had two steps on him. Yeah, and, and if he just threw it, he, all he had to do was throw it to the inside, and he overthrew him high and outside. And um, But he also hit a couple of really tough passes. Uh, he hit a, a deep end pass on, the I think, the touchdown that tied the game uh, down in down in the red zone that was a really tough timing pass. And and then he broke some runs, and, and as, as – uh, Clay Helton talked about after the game, they started using him in more creative ways. They started doing sort of more misdirections and kind of little trickeration going on there uh, with their quarterback and trying to free him up. And uh, he really showed me something by not folding in this game, by, by kind of remaining composed and then starting to make plays and really bringing his team back. Then, of course, he kind of ruined it all. Uh, the horrible, just a horrible pass on that last interception. Horrible. It was off by a good 20 feet, 20 yards. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, first of all, it was first down. I don't really – and there was, I don't know, five or six minutes left. Why were they passing the ball? Anyways, we want to talk about play calling. Why, why pass the ball at all? You have enough time. Yeah, and I mean, and they'd had so much success running the ball and with shorter passing. Why throw long? And he had a guy sort of – to the outside, and, and I don't know if it was a miscommunication or a bad throw, but he threw it to the inside, and it was just like fielding a punt for the USC defender. For the punt returner, Jenny yeah, Jen yeah, Harris. Sure. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> this one, he doesn't normally field punts, but he fielded that one. Um, so uh, that was just a rookie mistake, and it was something that, you know, you kind of hope a guy like that learns from, and he probably will, um, but it made, it, it made all the difference in the world in this game. And, uh, but Beyond that, you know, I thought he showed a lot of composure um, sort of beyond his experience level in staying in this game and turning what had been a really snoozy game into kind of a nail-biter in the last 10 minutes. He was relentless. Uh, Oluwale Batiku, who, who uh, played with Tate at Sarah, um, said he was telling guys in the third quarter on the sideline, hey, doesn't matter how hard you hit him, how many times you hit him, how many negative yardage plays you have. I mean, five, they have five sacks tonight at USC. Arizona had let up five sacks all season. Um, he said it doesn't matter how many times you, got, you knock this guy down or how badly he did in the first half. He's going to keep coming back, and he did. And I was really impressed by that. And he's still a young quarterback. He, he's not the best passer in the world. He just and, – and – his receivers early on were not getting open at all. They didn't really do that much to help him. Um, but he's not going to make a team pay with, with one-on-one coverage a lot. But he was relentless, and he was tough. And if they don't have Khalil Tate in this game, they lose by four touchdowns instead of having a chance to win it late. Um, so I was, I was impressed by him. Um, any last thoughts? It's, it's getting late here. Well, I just think that, uh, you know, um, first of all, USC – has to take care of business and get to that that Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, the, the situation is uh, USC needs to either win one of its last two games against Colorado or UCLA. One win gets gets them to the Pac-12 championship game, or 
losses by Arizona and Arizona State. One loss from each of them would also get them in um, to the championship game. But And we know we're going to get one of those losses when they play each other. So um, right. the other one has to, yeah. But uh, So that, that's kind of the first step. I think that we're really going to learn a lot about USC or more. I mean, we've, we've been saying this all season because they've been – kind of a conundrum you know sometimes they look really good sometimes they don't look they look very ordinary and um, but I think we'll learn a lot about them if they end up facing say a Washington or even you know I don't don't, um, well I think Washington would be the matchup that we would really see where they you know have they improved and have they become the kind of team that people thought they might be and are they going to catch fire like they did last year and if they do they're a different team they're not as experienced in some key places but uh, but they still have a lot of talent. And if they, if they catch that rhythm that they got towards the end of last year, I think they're going to be really dangerous again. And, and so we'll see if they can get into that Pac-12 title game and if they can take care of a Washington, then all of a sudden you're looking at, uh, we were talking earlier, what, what we, we see maybe a USC-Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Or, uh, uh, that would be fun. Yeah, I mean, that would be, that would be one of those traditional old-time you know, college football matchups. And, of course, we don't know what we've got in, in Ohio State. I mean, this is for all the, all the complaining that gets done around L.A. about USC. Think about what it's like in Happy Valley with Penn State and in Columbus with Ohio State and in Ann Arbor with Michigan. I mean, there's a lot of teams out there right now, you know, um, Oklahoma State, that people had a lot of hopes for, that had a lot of talent, a lot of teams with two losses now on their record, some of them with worse. Um, so this has been kind of a, a nutsy year in college football. Um, the USC isn't alone, but uh, but they have a chance to, to do some still to do some good things. USC's resume, actually, now that I think about it, isn't too much different than Ohio State's. Now with Net Ohio State has two losses. Ohio State lost to Oklahoma. It's kind of analogous to USC losing to Notre Dame. Ohio State got destroyed by Iowa. Um, just like boat raced by Iowa. Um, probably you take USC's loss to Washington State. Now, Ohio State has the win over Penn State. USC's best win is probably Stanford um, or, or tonight against Arizona. I, they don't really have that signature win that Ohio State does, so you take, probably take Ohio State's resume. But it's not too far off. I don't know, you're the national guy. You, you, you know this, this uh, situation better than I do. But is, is it too different from Ohio State's? You know, they say familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're close to a team and you see every game. You uh, see the flaws. You see all the flaws. And, and you see, uh, you see what, what should have been, what could have been. Um, so I, I still think of, of Ohio State maybe as a better team. I mean, uh, but. I think they are. Yeah. I think they'd be favored in, but, by a touchdown at least. But today's point. game was a surprise, you know, really. Um, to, just to see JT Barrett make some of the mistakes he made and to see the defense play like it played. Um, so I don't know. Like I said, it's a strange year when you look at, at some of the teams we thought would be really coming into shape in November and instead they're falling apart, you know, at certain times. And, and, and I think every week you're kind of waiting around to see which USC am I going to get, which Ohio State am I going to get, which Penn State am I going to get. You just, you know, even Clemson, and I know that Kelly Bryant was hurt in that game, um, but Clemson losing to Syracuse is a shocker. It's still Syracuse. No, no matter who your quarterback is, it's still Syracuse. Yeah, so I, so I don't know that you can make and – and to see Florida State fall apart to the extent it has after losing uh, Francois, their quarterback, in the opener, 
but now they're just completely crumbled to see Florida not be able to pull anything together. I know these weren't going to be well. Florida State could have been a great team, arguably. Um, but it, it's just it's and and to see Oklahoma, you know, struggle at times, and see Oklahoma State struggle at times. It's it's you know, so far you've seen Alabama look really really tough. You've seen Georgia; they had a squeaker over Notre Dame, but that looks a lot better now because we know how really we're starting to see how good Notre Dame is. Um, and it's those are there. You can maybe count on one hand the number of teams that you can really say these are consistently good teams, and we kind of have a feeling like they're going to make it to the playoff. But everyone else, it's you just don't know whether you're going to get the good side of them or the bad side of them. It's a team. It's a year of of good programs, good teams playing badly a lot. Um, USC probably among the ranks of of the blue bloods playing badly at times. But USC is now eight and two. They are two wins away from a ten win season, uh, with two easy games remaining on the schedule. They are. A hair's breath away from a Pac-12 South championship. So a little bit of a strange season. Um, thanks to uh, David Wharton, as always, for his, his great analysis. Uh, I will be back. It might be too late to take some calls. I don't know how many we've gotten uh, past midnight, but uh, maybe take some calls. We'll be back. You'll hear from Sam Darnold and a few other players. Stay with us. We're back with USC overtime. Uh, I, I didn't realize uh, when we were recording that, me and, me and David, that we, uh, we, we went pretty long, longer than normal. Uh, but it's always great stuff from David. He's been covering USC for so long and knows his team so well uh, that I think it was, it was worth it. And I think there was some good stuff there. But we do have a few calls in. I want to get them in. Um, it, the first one actually is is not a post game call. This was a pre game call. Kind of funny because this game was so late. Uh, but here is the old standby who we haven't heard in a couple weeks. Mitch from Brick, New Jersey. Here's Mitch. Hey, it's Mitch from New Jersey again. But this is not the post game rant. This is the pre game because the game's at 10:45 and I live on the East Coast. Hey, here's some questions for you. Why can't USC play at a reasonable time? Anyway, I'm going to go into bed soon because I live on the East Coast and it's a 10:45 game. But the pregame here, are the Trojans going to win today? You know, they have a big uh, series lead in this um, thing over Arizona. They beat the state last week. But um, Arizona beat number 15 Washington. So I want to see what you have to say about that. And, um, you know, can USC stop Tate? That'll be the key to the game, and I'm sure you'll have some more keys as this is the Z-line. So go USC, and I'll be in L.A. next week. I'm sure you'll be traveling, Zach, but I'll look you up. Why can't USC play at a reasonable time? These games are really late. The game ended. It was almost midnight when this game ended. And uh, I know it's daylight savings time, so you gain an hour of sleep, which is nice. But... It really, you, you, you eliminate all the East Coast viewers and a lot of the Central Time viewers when games are this late. Central Time, you're staying up until 2 a.m. to watch this game. That's a, a lot to ask for uh, casual college football fans. Even if you're a USC fan, it's tough to stay up until 2 a.m. to watch a game. So, uh, yeah, I think the later games they like because uh, the Pac-12 does because they, they end up getting better ratings. Um, actually, when they're not going head-to-head with other games because it's the only game on. Um, but it's tough. It's it's a lot to ask for people to stay up that late. 
All right, next call is Cal from L.A. Here's Cal. Isaac, it's Cal from L.A. What an interesting game it was with Arizona and USC. USC kind of lulled everyone to sleep in the first half, thinking, oh, they're going to dominate. And each segment played well at times. But then Khalil Tate showed that he's an amazing quarterback who can run. So maybe USC gave up the two early touchdowns, one that got called back and the fumble, so that the Arizona Wildcats could catch up and make it interesting. But then somehow Darnold manages to pull away and rise to the occasion. Anyways, it looks great for winning the South Division and making it up to Santa Clara. Want to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, Cal, they're pretty golden right now for making the, the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, you think they're probably going to play Washington. That's the most likely coming out of the north. That'll be an interesting game because USC had Washington's number last year. They beat them pretty convincingly uh, in Seattle. Um, different teams this year. USC I don't think is quite as good. Washington... I'm not convinced that they're a great team. They're I don't think they're quite as good as last year either. So USC's a, a win away from 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 having that conversation for real. Um, the chances that USC makes the championship game at this point are really really high. Um, so that'll be an interesting game, and and a lot is riding on that as far as whether USC's season is a success or a failure. Um, before we go, I wanted to take a little bit of a closer look at that throw on that wheel route to Ronald Jones from Sam Darnold that we talked about earlier that you heard at the beginning of the program. Um, it, it's, it was just, I think it may have gotten even overlooked, um, because this game was, was so, you know, back and forth with the, the 22 point blown lead. Um, but Clay Helton thought it was uh, one of the better throws of Sam Darnold's career that he's seen. Uh, so here's Clay Helton. I, said, I, I can't tell you how hard a throw that is when you're going to your left to lob that ball up to Rojo. Uh, that was one, when he threw it and completed it, even I said, I was like, whoa, that, that was about as big time as you get. Um, that is a very hard throw for a left-handed quarterback and to drop a time like that. And then for this one to make that catch, um, that, was a, that was probably the biggest play in the game. And Sam Darnold was kind of uh, casual about the throw when uh, he was asked about it afterwards. But he did uh, he did start to smile and laugh a little bit when it was brought up, which uh, and normally he's pretty he's pretty stone faced uh, after after games, win or loss in interviews. Uh, but it got a little bit of a rise out of him. I think he he probably knew what kind of a throw he had made. So here's Sam Darnold. Yeah, when when I threw it, I was just you know hoping Rojo would catch it. <laughs> I knew I kind of put it. Um, in a good area. I mean, when I'm on the move, especially my left, um, I try my best to be as accurate as I can, but sometimes it's really hard to tell where the ball's going to end up um, in terms of short or long or what's going to happen there. But, you know, I, I put it in a good spot, and Rojo made a heck, heck of a catch. All right, that'll do it for USC Overtime this week. The call you heard at the beginning of the show was Mark Jones, Rod Gilmore, and Quint Kesnich for ESPN. If you like what you heard, give us a review on iTunes. I'll be doing a weekly mailbag every Friday, so remember to tweet questions at ZHellFand, or you can email me, zach.hellfand at latimes.com. 
and call into the hotline every week at 213-357-0984. It'll be a lot easier next week, an earlier game. You won't have to stay up until the wee hours of the morning just to call in. Uh, We'll see you next week from Boulder, where USC will play Colorado with a chance to clinch the Pac-12 South. Thanks for listening.